professional, experienced producers of audio content can create shows without necessarily knowing that it's going to go on a broadcast, terrestrial broadcast uh, market. It can go over the net and you can reach a much larger audience. You know, the, the pretend radio shows I made in my basement as a teenager reached an audience of one. An audience, you can reach a potential global audience by uh, using net internet technologies and, and distributing audio yourself. Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital journalism and the people who make it. I'm in the studio today with Nicole Agrisco. Hello, Nicole. Hey, Mike. Hey, and you just went to go see The Boss. I did. I saw Bruce last night. Okay, yeah, First cool. time, three-hour marathon. Okay. <laughs> and I think we're talking to somebody who's in New Jersey. Uh, you're in New Jersey, right? Uh, I am Steve. in New Jersey. This is uh, Steve Lubetkin. He is the author of The Business of Podcasting. Uh, Steve and I met last fall at the uh, Mid-Atlantic Podcasting uh, Conference up in uh, New Jersey. And uh, now you, you began in radio. Is that, is that correct? I did. As a matter of fact, I began in the town that's most closely associated with Bruce Springsteen, Asbury Park. Okay. And, uh, there it is. My, my, my commercial radio career began at the radio station that was owned by the now Gannett-owned Asbury Park Press. Oh, cool. Um, and the radio station still exists. It's no longer part of the uh, press. Okay. But uh, that's where I started and um, actually spent some time in print journalism covering uh, music in the Jersey Shore area. Never actually got to interview Bruce, but um, I did cover at least one of his concerts. So, you know, there's like a peripheral kind of relationship there. So. Yeah, th this is this is uh, this is the first episode of our new episode uh, of our new podcast uh, talking about Bruce, <laughs> not actually having met or interviewed him. But we're just going to sort of talk about our experiences. I'm sure that podcast already exists. I'm sure it already <laughs> exists. Anyway, so moving on from uh, Bruce Springsteen. So uh, you're you're. You know, you've written this book, uh, The Business of Podcasting. Uh, you've been a podcaster. Well, I guess we should ask you how, how you got to podcasting. Well, you know what I like to say, Michael, is that I started being a podcaster when I was a teenager back in the 70s. We didn't know that it was called podcasting back then. But what happened was I was, um, as a young teenager, my dad worked at Fort Monmouth, which was a major military base in central New Jersey that housed the home of the Army's Signal Corps. It was the place where they trained military personnel in how to do all kinds of communications things. And one of the things they trained them in was how to broadcast on radio and television. They had a very robust closed circuit television network of about 30 different channels of educational TV. And they also had a studio where they trained people for armed forces radio. And one fateful afternoon, my dad got me access to that studio. And I spent the afternoon learning how to cue vinyl records and work the board and play carts from the cart machine. And I was hooked. I wanted to be in radio from that point on. And I, so I went home and I set up a radio studio in my parents' basement with an old reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. Wow, that's real nerdy. Uh, it is. And, <laughs> uh, and, and a vinyl, you know, a turntable to play vinyl records. And uh, I would play the records with a microphone and introduce them. And I even had taped some commercials off the radio and interspersed them. And it was really a stop-start kind of a thing because I didn't have multiple turntables and I didn't have multiple recorders. So I would make these pretend radio shows oh, in my wow. parents' basement and play them for my best friend. That was the only way you could distribute it was to play it back. There oh, was cool. no internet. There was no way to send it out to people unless you made copies of the tapes. And so from that point on, you know, that was the thing. And when I got to college, 
the first place I turned up was the college radio station. And they said, yeah, we can give you an air shift. You have to go study for the FCC license, which I did. And then from there, the music director at the college radio station had a job working at the Esbury Park Press at night in the circulation department where they stuffed the, the um, sales circulars into the Sunday papers. And he made friends with the head of the radio operation at the press and got himself a job voicing commercials. And then the opportunity came up where they needed somebody to work the board on the overnight. It wasn't the overnight shift, but it was late Sunday night playing the public affairs shows that radio stations were required to play. And uh, he got me the job because I had the FCC license. And from there, I worked into being on the air as a newscaster. And uh, at some point, you know, along the way, I had to make a decision because being on the radio, you can either be on the radio or you can buy groceries, but usually it's hard to do both. And so I, I made the choice to get out of radio and journalism and went into public relations. And I spent pretty much 30 years of my career in corporate PR jobs where I still used my radio skills, you know, recording stuff and trying to feed it out to the media, but uh, never really launched into podcasting until... I left the corporate world about 11 years ago, and uh, that's when podcasting was just coming over the horizon along with this thing we called new media back then. Now we call it social media, but um, it was really my wife who was listening to an NPR broadcast about podcasting, which was in its infancy at the time, and she said, you know, with your radio background, you really should be looking at this podcasting thing. So I started listening to what I was hearing, and what I was hearing was people who sounded a lot like I remembered sounding when we did college radio. It was very amateurish. There were a lot of um, editing skills that weren't present and technology issues that shouldn't have been obvious. And I said, this could be a really useful channel of communications for companies. They would buy this from someone, but it has to sound as good as NPR or as good as federal news radio. And so I set out learning, relearning, essentially, the skills that I knew from, from broadcasting. Because back when I was in radio, we were editing with a razor blade and a grease pencil. Yeah. You know, physically editing magnetic recording tape. So digital was a new thing. And, of course, I embraced it. And that's where we got to where we are now. And um, I do want to give a shout out to my co-author of the book, The Business of Podcasting, Donna Papacosta. She is a self-taught podcaster in Toronto, Canada. And we had met online for a number of years, and then we actually met face-to-face -face at the New Communications Forum, I think around 2008, and stayed in touch over the years. And then about a year and a half ago, Donna came to me and said, I have this idea, we should write a book together, and we did. And that's how we got to where we are now. Now, do you, are you still producing a podcast? I produce three podcasts, or actually two, that, are, that I call my, my house podcasts. I have a, a podcast that I pompously named Lubetkin on Communications, where I do sort of the same kinds of interviews that you do, interviews with people in journalism around the New Jersey, Philadelphia, New York market, and uh, people who are also in the public relations profession, and sort of to get their perspectives on what's going on and trends that they're seeing. And then the second one I do is a podcast interviewing authors of books and people who are in the creative arts, musicians primarily, so I can play some of their uh, pod-safe music. But for the most part, my podcasting is really focused on producing podcasts for clients. And that's kind of the thing that, that Donna and I talk about most in the book is uh, to dispel the misconception a lot of people have about podcasting. Most people have the perception, people who are not in podcasting, that you're going to monetize your podcasting by being a very clever podcast host, taking nothing away from the two of you who are both very <laughs> clever podcast hosts, of course. But uh, as you know, the reality is that um, 
it is a limited market. And the way that we found, at least for Donna and I, the way we found made the most sense was to offer ourselves as podcasting consultants, where we help people produce podcasts for their organizations where they may not want to invest in actually having a full-time podcaster on the staff. Yeah, and, and that's that's a business model that, I, that I've heard people talk about. I mean, a lot of people, when they talk about monetizing podcasting, they're thinking about advertising, they're thinking about all these sort of old models that really kind of don't work because of the, the audience sizes. It's really hard to get advertising to work for podcasts unless you have a, an audience at the scale of an Adam Carollo yeah. or, or a Mark Maron. And, you know, if you don't, if you have anything below that, they just, the people who buy advertising just can't get their arms around the size or the lack of size of that audience. Yeah. And, and also, and, and you might be able to speak a little bit to this from a, from a radio perspective, the business of radio, which is mostly built around, you know, we're talking commercial radio built around uh, selling advertising. They have yet to figure out a way to measure an audience that in the way that they do for advertising, not that the, the, the way they measure it now is, is hundred percent perfect. So there's this sort of disconnect at this point between, you know, the advertising or the advertising industry and the broadcasting industry. You know, I think there are many broadcasters who would li- love to, you know, dive headfirst into podcasting and online inline audio, but, you know, can't make that jump because, you know, the metrics for measuring an audience are so not great. And, and the audience that's out there for online listening isn't that great either. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the things that's happened, you just triggered a thought about social media in general, I think, is that companies in the mainstream media, whether they be, you know, broadcasting companies or entertainment companies, are still trying to manipulate social media into being an extension of the same kind of business model. And so that's why you get you know, people starting to talk about Twitter as if it's going out of business because it's become so flooded with, you know, advertising messages and marketing messages that the communications uniqueness of it is being lost or, or, or is hard to find. And I think the same thing is true with podcasting. You know, there are all these big entertainment companies that have podcasts, which are just an extension of what they do all the time. And what, what Donna and I see is that podcasting can be as you've said, a narrow casting form of distribution for very specific business uses. And in fact, you know, that's what I've done with many of my clients and focus them on how it helps them move the needle for their business. It's not about going viral. It's not about having 20 million people. That's the old advertising model. You know, you, you throw something at the eyeballs or at the ears of 20 million people and a small percentage of it we know it will stick and they will buy the product or service. But that's not really the best use of a podcast. The best use of a podcast is for a very narrow focus for an audience that lies awake at night trying to solve a problem and Googles that problem and then finds a company with a podcast where their subject matter expert talks about how they can solve that problem. That's where it really becomes effective. There was an article maybe a year or two ago specifically on that topic, the idea of can audio go viral? And that's a conversation that Mike and I have had here at at, uh, Federal News Radio oftentimes. You know, what do we do with all of this audio and how can we make a lot of people listen to it? So I guess my question for you is, can audio actually go viral? I mean, we maybe saw it with something like Serial last year, but wondering what your thoughts are on that. Well, there are are two things about that. One is there, I've just talked to the um, 
founder of a new social media style company built on the premise that audio can go viral, a fellow by the name of Parviz Parvizi, who uh, with his partner created a, uh, an app called Clamor. Uh, that's Clamor without the E dot com. And basically what that allows you to do is listen to your favorite podcasts and then capture excerpts from the podcast and send the excerpt to your friends using a, an app that delivers it through Twitter and Facebook and other social platforms and also through the Clamor platform. Each snippet can be no more than 24 seconds. And so the idea is you'll take the coolest excerpt from the podcast you're listening to and send it to your friend. And it has a backlink to that podcast where you can actually go back and listen to the whole show if you choose. It's an interesting concept. It's a potential way of distributing audio to people more effectively, more efficiently. It's not entirely clear to me how you make it go viral because people are, you know, they're looking for visual stuff. The stuff that yeah. goes viral is mostly the stuff that's silly or entertaining or funny or animals doing strange things. You know, it's usually not business content that goes viral. Yeah. Yeah. The, the phone, you know, a lot, you know, mobile is, is where a lot of people are accessing their, their online content, phone and desktops, very visually oriented, very text and, and video oriented, not so much audio, even though we listen to audio, we listen to podcast and music on our phones. It's it's a sort of passive aspect of it, and we've talked about this on the, on the podcast before about the invisibility of audio on the web and, and what a challenge that is. You know, try to get people to your content. I mean, when we began our podcast, for a while we were because somebody said, "Hey, nobody can see what you're doing, so maybe you should do transcripts." So then we were doing transcripts, and it was kind of like, "Well, are we in the process? Of, you know, what you know." Yes, people can get our, see what we're talking about, but really what we want to do is produce a podcast. We don't want to sit here and write lengthy things up or, or have people read stuff. And for that matter, you know, are they going to want to read a, a transcript? So it's this ongoing struggle of of getting what may be very good content, get people to expose to it and, and share it. Yeah, and I think one of the ways that, for example, my clients have embraced podcasting but not gone the transcript route is to sort of make it part of a package. So, for example, they will have their experts write a white paper on a technical business topic, and then we will go into the studio and record a podcast with the subject matter experts about that topic, and then the two will be paired on the website. So it's not a direct transcript of the content of the podcast, but people can listen to the podcast and or read the white paper. But I think you're absolutely right you really want to focus on the audio component of it and not have it be, we're doing the audio so that we can do the text. Because ultimately, in order for you to succeed as an audio pla you know, delivery, you, you want to convert people to that. And then it's sort of another thing. And I had a conversation, was having a conversation about this with somebody who wanted to, to launch a podcast. The idea that, you know, is that where your audience is? You know, the fact is, is that despite what the media is saying about the growth of podcasting, it's not the saturation isn't that big. It's certainly not as big as is television. It's it's not as big for many people as radio. I mean, it's growing. And, and I think part of the challenge that podcasters face at this moment is we're also selling podcasting. We're not just selling us our particular episode. We're selling, you know, hey, you should be listening to podcasts. And, and, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, that if you're trying to reach people who are going to listen to you, you're already shooting for a smaller audience, a smaller uh, audience to the larger audience. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's especially true for the kinds of podcasts that 
the major organizations are producing. Nicole mentioned the serial podcast and everybody, you know, has the perception that this was just, you know, Sarah Koenig sitting in her basement with a microphone. And while it is a fabulous, fabulous program, and I take nothing away from the quality of the content, I do like to remind folks that, you know, it was produced by a team of very experienced NPR producers and editors and researchers working in a multi-million dollar NPR studio in Chicago. And it was distributed using podcast technology, but it's essentially no different from the content you might expect to hear going up over the satellite on the NPR network. They simply didn't have the bandwidth on the network. And that's where podcasting, I think, has its niche. That is, professional, experienced producers of audio content can create shows without necessarily knowing that it's going to go on a broadcast, terrestrial broadcast uh, market. It can go over the net and you can reach a much larger audience. You know, the, the pretend radio shows I made in my basement as a teenager reached an audience of one. An audience, you can reach a potential global audience by uh, using net internet technologies and, and distributing audio yourself. You were facing, definitely facing a, a distribution problem back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, my, when my friend went away to college, I'm sure he was grateful that he didn't have to listen to the shows anymore. <laughs> so where do you see the, the trends in, in podcasting going at this moment? Well, again, I think, you know, for businesses that need to communicate, it's a really valuable way to communicate with audiences that are buying biz solutions to business problems. And the case that I always uh, tell people about, and we talk about it at length in the book, is one of my clients was a global insurance company. And they were introducing a, an insurance product to protect companies in the event of cyber liability. In other words, if their network was accessed by hackers and their data stolen or compromised in some way, or their business was interrupted because someone got into the network who couldn't, there is a piece of insurance you can buy for that is called cyber liability. But what they wanted to do and what we did, I think, successfully is create a podcast where the product manager, who's the subject matter expert for cyber liability, talked about the value of all the different things people have to do to protect against cyber liability. It's not just insurance. You have to have encryption technology. You have to have firewalls that are robust. You have to train your network personnel in proper procedures for handling data, so forth and so on. And in the course of this podcast conversation, he talked about all these areas that business risk managers need to deal with. And then as a you know, follow-up thought. Yes, in addition to that, you need some kind of insurance coverage to protect you and help you recover from whatever damages are caused that you incur costs with. The point of doing the podcast was this. He was getting phone calls from a lot of people saying, tell me about what I need to know about cyber liability. And each person who called would get a half an hour of this product manager's time. By doing the podcast, they were able to get him off the phone with those Cyber Liability 101 conversations. And in the course of several years of the podcast being available, we racked up about 13,000 downloads. Now, if you multi, that's not a huge amount of downloads in the podcasting world that people dream of, you know, where they want to have, you know, 10,000 uh, downloads a month or, uh, you know, a million downloads, whatever. It's not a lot, but when you multiply it by 30 minutes each and multiply it by what the, this fellow's time cost, you're talking about a significant avoided cost. And then the people who listen to that podcast 
are already educated and predisposed when they call him back and say, I'm ready to talk about cyber liability. So from the perspective of that business, this was a way of helping to educate potential clients about their products and services and getting them predisposed to have a serious conversation about buying them. It's interesting because the idea of growing podcasting and getting more people to listen to online content, we know that people download audiobooks and listen to them in their car and they have no problem with buying an audiobook and listening to it. That there's there's a definitely an audience out there for people who are looking for specific type of content, whether it be a, you know a piece of fiction or a how-to, you know, book, quote unquote, or a how-to podcast. That you know, just different ways of looking at it. I think a lot of the podcasting that gets attentions, or you know, are things like Serial or, or Mark Marin or, or or Adam Carolla or, or entertainment or big news type things. But there are a lot of niches where you can you can carve out your space and and uh, build an audience. I think that's absolutely true. And the key is that that audio podcasts are more portable than video. Most people obsess over doing video, and I frankly do a lot of video as part of my production business. But what we're finding is that video is not as sticky as audio. People are more likely to listen to audio because they can take it with them. They can listen to it in the car while they're driving. They can listen to it when they're commuting. They can listen to it on the treadmill or the, or the spin bike. So it is easier to get them into it if it's something that you know, it has content that they need or want to listen to. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit harder to monetize it if you're not a, a major personality. We've tried on a couple of occasions with uh, a podcast I did for a, a local business group that uh, held a quarterly business outlook. We were getting so many downloads that I thought, geez, you know, we've got a lot of people listening to this. Maybe if I charge a dollar, we might chase away half of them. But if half of them stay a dollar a podcast wouldn't be a bad piece of revenue. And a funny thing happened. It's not so funny, but you, and you won't be surprised, but when we put the uh, podcast behind a paywall, the downloads stopped. <laughs> completely. You, you completely know, stopped. You know, people like free content. <laughs> it, you it's, know, with podcasting, you put in so much effort to produce a really good sounding, you know, quality content podcast. There's a lot of stuff that goes into that and you're giving it away for free. People love to, to get that for free. They love to get it for free. They don't seem to want to contribute. And this is, you know, something that started at the at the dawn of the Internet age. And I don't know if you remember Jaron Lanier, who was one of the early inventors of virtual reality products like virtual reality gloves and goggles, uh, has written a book a couple of years ago where in which he says we really screwed up. You know, we should not have ever suggested that we should give this stuff away for free. And now we're paying the price for that because people are accustomed to getting it for free. We well, should have put the meter on the uh, the Internet at the very beginning. Exactly. We've seen, I, I've seen uh, different podcasting groups and companies try different things in that area where, okay, well, if you pay us a certain number of dollars a month, maybe it's five bucks a month, we'll give you extra content or bonus content, or they're throwing in a t-shirt or something like that. Um, and I guess that's a different kind of business model that different podcasters are also trying to so I and I guess also what you're what you're trying to to do is th this is sort of a business to business thing, right? Primarily, I mean, I, I the the model that Nicole is describing, I have heard of, and I've heard people doing it, and I have heard some people say they do it successfully. But 
my experience has been that people are very reluctant to pay for content of almost any kind. We did a, a series of videos from a major conference with leading lights in a major sector of the real estate economy and produced a set of uh, videos from that and offered it for sale and it didn't do very well. I, I think maybe what we should we should change the theme of this podcast to if you want a podcast, don't podcast because you're not going to make any money or, or you're not going to be it's going to be really hard to be super successful. Well, no, uh, I think, you know, <laughs> I, I would take it in the other direction. And that uh -huh. is the direction, uh, as I mentioned before, that Donna and I took in the book. People who want to podcast, who have the passion for podcasting. And, you know, when I go to podcasting conferences and I tell the story about making the pretend radio shows, a lot of heads start nodding in the room. There's a lot of other people who did exactly the same thing. They wanted to be in radio so bad that they made podcasts, they made pretend radio shows and, and played them back. People want to develop those skills. And if they develop the skills and get the equipment that's needed, they can make themselves a business or at least a business line that goes along with the other things that they might sell to clients uh, along the way of producing the podcast. And I, I've got to tell you, Michael, I've had a couple of occasions. It hasn't happened often, but I've had a couple of occasions where I found myself overbooked, where there were actually two events that I needed to produce podcasts from on a single day. And I was very hard pressed to find another podcaster who had the appropriate gear who could go out and do a remote recording for me. Now, that may have changed a little bit recently because the price of uh, smaller digital recorders has come down, but it's still, it's still a challenge to find somebody who has, uh, you know, wireless mics and mixers and can go out and do this stuff. So, you know, it's an opportunity, I think, for podcasters, but it's not the opportunity that maybe they want. And even if you're not necessarily making a whole lot of money or any, with, right. With your podcast, it does seem that many people are kind of developing a community around their podcast. They have this niche group of people that love this podcast that tune in every, you know, week or two weeks that, you know, a new episode is available. And it seems as if people are kind of rallying behind this, you know, small kind of community base of listening oh, to this podcast. There's no question about that. There are a lot of people doing some very creative stuff. And I think the one thing that I wish would happen more, and frankly, even in my own podcast, is that there would be more creativity, more of the long-form kind of location reporting that you hear from the professional broadcasters, you know, where you actually go out and capture audio on site at a, an interesting location, whether it's a farm or a factory or something like that, and really put together an audio story that's compelling and engaging and is more than just, you know, what we're doing, the talking heads in the studio type of thing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people will, when they start a podcast, they sort of gravitate to the type of podcast that they like or they're listening to. And one of the nice things about the more I've been doing podcasting and meeting lots of different types of people, I know there, I belong to the DC Podcasters Group, or I should say we do. And, um, you know, there are a number of people on there who are di doing different types of podcasts. They're doing marketing podcasting. They're doing business podcasts. They're doing you know, a radio theater type podcasting. I mean, I don't think we, we've seen the full potential yet of where it's going. I think we're starting to see little things sort of pop up. But the, but the thing that, you know, I sort of backpedal a little bit. The thing I would say to people who are thinking about doing a podcast or any creative endeavor, you know, go ahead and do it. Don't don't be afraid that, oh, my God, I'm not going to make a, a you know, a mountain of money or maybe I haven't figured out how I'm going to monetize something. I think any creative endeavor 
is good for you and it's going to to bring to you things that you can't imagine. I, I've been fortunate in doing this podcast has allowed me to meet lots of different people, lots of people in journalism that's actually helped me to do my job better. And then on top of that, it's allowed me to travel and go to different places and speak to lots of different people that I, I never would have had. These opportunities never would happen if I, if I didn't decide that I wanted to do that. And these are things that I did not anticipate at the beginning. I think that's absolutely true. I think that the very act of doing podcasting puts you into another place of, of uh, learning and growing and figuring out what it is that is going to be the best path for you. And, you know, I think there are an incredible number of creative people out there doing podcasts. And what's great about this is that the barriers to access have come down. You no longer need to persuade someone at a radio station or a TV station that they should carry your program. You are your own broadcaster. You are the media. And I think, that, you know, the Internet has given us that wonderful gift of being able to broadcast anywhere. And I think that is just, you know, it's it's golden. Yeah. And, and this, you know, I would even again, because the audience are listening to this, they are listening to us as a podcast, but they're not necessarily all thinking about becoming podcasters. They're thinking about being journalists, about creating things. I mean, whether you're you're creating a website or, or a different way of, uh, you know, telling stories or building your own personal brand, you know, go ahead and do it and push towards it because the rewards are, are, are going to be things that you never anticipated. And the opportunities will open up because as people begin to see you as a content producer, I mean, in the end, content wins out, I think. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. The good content wins over everything else. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, improve the quality of what you're doing, um, you know, pursue your passion and grow. And I think that's, you know, on the one hand, I don't want to discourage people from from podcasting. I mean, there's some hard realities that you have to face. Your audience isn't going to be as big as you thought it was going to be. You're, it's going to be tough to make money and finance it. It's, you know, it's it takes a lot more time. That's the one thing I I, 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 I like to tell people. Producing a good podcast, you know, assuming that we're doing a good podcast, but <laughs> producing a good podcast, it, it takes time. It takes, you know, pre-production and post-production. People don't have any idea how much time is involved in the post-production process. And it's usually at least three or four times the amount of time you spend interviewing or recording. Yeah. And like us, for we're built around interviews. You know, Everybody's like, oh, well, it's easy for you guys. You just set up mics. Well, who are you going to get on that other mic? How are you going to you know, fit your schedule around that person? If you're going to get a good guest the chances are that they're a very busy person and you're going to have to figure out how to work your schedule around their schedule and, you know, not waste their time. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, this has been, this has been great. Now, what, what are you going to be, uh, so what's next for you with the business of podcasting? Well, we uh, obviously, uh, Donna and I are doing a number of, uh, appearances like this one to talk about the book. And by the way, the, uh, if you want more information, the website for the book is thebusinessofpodcasting.com. The domain was actually available when we thought of the title of the book. So we, we grabbed it and that's the website, thebusinessofpodcasting.com. We are uh, going around and, and talking to as many people as we can about it and trying to point out to people perhaps a different approach, a different way of thinking about how they use podcasting as part of their professional lives. I've certainly talked about it as a, an emblem of my reinvention as a baby boomer cast out of the corporate world in my mid-40s and uh, wondering what to do next and then reaching back to my, to my roots, to my radio skills and turning it into uh, somewhat of a business. 
that's certainly an inspiring story, and, and I'm glad that you, you you shared it with us. I'd encourage everybody to check out this book. Go to the website. It's uh, you know if you have any interest in podcasting in, in coming up with ways to promote your podcast about the thinking again. When you start a podcast, some of the things you don't think about are, are promotion and making money and just the business side of it. You sort of gravitate towards the fun side of it, creating content, you know, it's thinking about what you want to say, but you don't, you really should uh, put some time and effort into uh, thinking about what your business side of it is. Exactly. And that's why we wrote the book. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, spending this time with us. It's been a great conversation and good luck. And I'm sure I'll see you at some upcoming conference. I would be looking forward to it. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Nicole. Next time on It's All Journalism. There's always some kind of national award going on. Every December, there's the Kennedy Center Honors, so we've gotten to talk to George Lucas and Rita Moreno and, and Carol King and Tom Hanks, and it's, it just goes on and on. And then or Spielberg and Ken Burns will get honored at the National Archives, or Barry Gordy will come to National Theater to show Motown the Musical. It, it feels like there's, all, there's the national identity of D.C. being a national hub of, of culture. Brings a lot of cool people through here. In our next episode, It's All Journalism talks to Jason Fraley, entertainment editor at WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C., about movies, the entertainment beat, and covering the Oscars. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. Episodes are also available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and soon on Google Play. This week's episode was produced by Amber Healy, Michael O'Connell, and Nicole Lagrisco. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>